No, that's where the feed goes. <laughs> <laughs> are we signed? We are. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm Liam Dempsey. I'm Paul Wilson. I'm Matt Brendan. The mission of our podcast is to explore every film in the Star Trek movie franchise for a non-Trekkie perspective. To answer the question, can someone with no real knowledge of Trek become a fan with just the movies to learn from? Uh, before we get started with today's film, which is going to be Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, uh, we're going to introduce our first Ever, first ever special guest star. Uh, he's the man behind our theme tune, uh, which you will have just heard. It's rather wonderful. I'm sure you agree. Adam Johnson. Thank you very much. Yes, it's it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on, guys. Well, we've all been looking forward to this. Yeah. like it's uh, the first guest on. Yeah, this is where we kick in the real. Game. I'm honoured to be the first <laughs> first guest star. Well, I think it was only right that they did the theme as well for us. Yeah, part yeah, of the team behind yeah. the scenes, we call it. Yeah, yeah exactly. But if you want to, like, you know, sort of uh, promote your work, i.e., your theme for the same podcast, yeah, on um, the show, you can go right ahead. I wrote a theme song for this podcast. If you want to hear it again, just rewind to the beginning. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I do music and stuff and things. Go, I can't remember my web address, and I've turned my phone off now, which is real great. Well, it, it's it's okay. We'll, yeah. we'll get back to. We'll all do plugs and stuff at the end. Yeah. It's all good. We'll we'll have time. But um, Stay yeah, tuned for the plugs. Th- this is a big <laughs> deal. Our first special guest star. I mean, you know, we considered others: William Shatner, Brent Spiner. They were all on the list, but in the end, we just said, "Get me one man, Johnson." <laughs> Uh, so, what are your Star Trek credentials, Adam? Um, well, I kind of th- this was my like Voyage Home was the first Star Trek thing I'd kind of ever watched. Oh, really? I, yeah, my grandparents had two VHSs at their house. When we go around there, do we tapes. only need yeah, two tapes. VHS. One of them must be Star Trek. <laughs> I tell, no, I tell like they had four tapes. Two of them were blank, which have whatever my uncle had <laughs> recorded. Keep the blank. Yeah, which whatever my uncle had recorded off the television that week. Just one of the films, yeah. isn't it? One of the, yeah, it's, it's don't, don't 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 watch that. It's my special tape. Uh, um, <laughs> blank. Yeah, so two of them were blank. One of them was Disney Cinderella, and the other one was Star Trek Four. So that's <laughs> kind of, of yeah. It was you know it's it's a yeah. good pairing you know but we, we go around there on weekends and like it's not a lot of choice what's there, really. <laughs> 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 it's like big decision back in the 80s what are you going to buy you, you spent 400 pounds on a video player oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, each tape costs an excess of 20 pounds it's like you know you, you, you pay your money you get star trek 4 you better enjoy it i yeah. think basically and if you don't you're still going to watch it 25 times I mean, I'm thinking like to now where I've got like a whole wall of my house is like Blu-rays and things. But like back in the day, it wasn't like such a big sort of like, oh, I've got to get everything. Like maybe they'd seen it yeah. in the cinema. Like maybe. Because yeah. this came out before I was born. Was... And like at some point, one of them was like, we should get the VHS of Voyager. And it was always a thing of relatives' video cupboards being that wooden yeah. case with oh, a yeah. glass thing and you open it up and there's just a few chunky VHS in there. Yeah, because that's all there was room for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, people didn't tend to have VHS collections the way people have DVD collections now. Like most people's places you go around now, even if they're not 
big film fans they've got, they got a, a collection shelf, yeah. of DVDs yeah yeah whereas back in the day I remember that was quite a big deal if you went around someone's house and they had tons of VHS's mm. for all they're probably quite well off it was usually like, a thing of we've got a few on standby for kids when they visit yeah I think that's yeah. what they were there for yeah. really because like, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 all but, our ones were all kids ones yeah but I mean that uh, Voyage Home like VHS was like my only kind of Star Trek thing for a long time because I was always more of a bad to say on a Star Trek podcast but I was always more of a Star Wars fan I suppose I still am really but like when you're sort of like seven eight nine like Star Trek is very like there's a lot more talking boring. than you, I wasn't gonna say boring <laughs> but like like it's, it's a very different thing to Star Wars and like Star yeah. Wars has got well obviously it's marketed a lot more towards children anyway but like that, I was always more into that and like you were yeah. a Star Wars fan established by the point you go to this house and you see this tape and it's got the word Star I was like you're almost there maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars but, um, oh, no. I think because no, I would have watched like the first film I can remember like proper film that wasn't like an animated thing was Star Wars so that was kind of my early sort of like oh this is sci-fi movies this is great this is Star Wars and then it wasn't a letdown like, I really enjoyed Star Trek 4 and it's, uh, that's why I'm here today talking about this one because you were like well, Liam asked me months ago it's like What's your, which one of your Star Trek movies is your favourite I was like I guess, I guess Voyage Home and um, but yeah it, like for many years like I kind of I'd only really watched that one and like the occasional bit of a Next Generation episode on BBC or whatever mm. but I think it was it wasn't until I got a lot older that I was like I'll give the Star Trek thing another go um, I even had like a friend like <laughs> a friend of mine when we were about 8 or 9 was like he was big into Star Trek and this was when when would it have been I think Voyager was just starting or whatever and he was all like, like five, oh, yeah. yeah and we got in like big arguments over like no Star Trek ships would kill all the Star Wars ships because like <laughs> and I'd be like but X-Wings are cool and he'd be like yeah, but you don't need them in Star Trek. The phasers would just take them all out. It's stupid. I had this same conversation with myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have that friend, unfortunately. So you were ahead of me on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I came to Star Trek a lot sort of later, uh, later in life and that. And it's, yeah. You've done all the films now. You've uh, watched them all. Uh, not just the films. Oh, yeah, I've yeah, yeah, all of Star Trek. All, all <laughs> of Star Trek. Well, everything ever. Uh, yeah. Wow, yeah, so animated not, series included. I don't have a girlfriend, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> not that that means you can't. No, 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 no yeah. I have lots of lady fans of the show. I've got a lot of time on my hands. What's, uh, what's the TV series your next step in after initial week? I think, I think so. I mean, um, it probably would have been like Next Generation because, again, it's another thing of like coming to things later on. I remember when I started watching this series, like, I was like, oh, Next Generation's got Picard in it and it's cool and that. And then I probably watched like uh, First Contact and things because First Contact's like the action. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was like a, a sort of okay. This is yeah, a slightly more actiony Star Trek. Slightly movie. cool for five minutes, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, about that time. And at the time, though, I remember thinking, like, oh, I don't want to watch Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is boring. They haven't got a yeah. ship. They don't even go anywhere. And like now, it's like I, yeah, I was described it. Yeah, the one where they don't the go one anywhere. Where they don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but it's like now, now I'm older and I know better. It's, it's, it's clearly the best one. It's funny, isn't like, it? How the, yeah. uh, the, the the series is kind of getting progressively younger. Like it's almost regenerating itself. How it starts with people way over the hill like Shatner when they're way too old yeah. then it kind of becomes more actiony and it's this cool middle-aged bold guy and now again it's like when they're really young so the next generation of the franchise will be Star Trek Babies or something you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Babies I mean this point where the franchise could have been rebooted was the mid-80s and the script being floated time of Starfleet Academy sort of uh, yeah, wrong Adam because like it, it was the producers were thinking of going in that direction because Shatner and Nimoy were asking for a big I think so and like yeah. I hate to say it but watching this one they do start to look a little bit like 
this is the is this gonna, a crew of old people Stop. going around. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like there's a shot like like where they're first kind of walking around San Francisco and like Shatner turns and goes. Just move, you look like a cadet review or something, but like, and it cuts them, and they, oh, it just looks like a kind of tour group of like elder people. <laughs> yeah, just like, like on the bus, like, <laughs> yeah. to, uh, the Edinburgh Woolen Mill. Uh, <laughs> and and then you've got to remember they do like another three films after this one with that same oh, crew, God. so it's like, you know. I think in comparison to the pedestrians of San Francisco as well, mm. they're suddenly <laughs> just the old folk on the corner. From the side, I should say that the idea of Spotlight is obviously to bring new fans to the franchise. Uh, we've got a very own map brothers here who's never seen this film before this podcast um if you want to watch the film and have this as kind of companion podcast you can't watch along with us each month uh you can find it on dvd blu-ray yeah yeah yeah. it's probably some still kicking around itunes i'm sure maybe netflix us if you've got like a secret code to tap into that um or i'm sure there are other sources you can go down possibly illegal uh, <laughs> but you can but you can watch it alongside basically so you know by all means watch it then come back and listen to us talk about it because we as usual are going to spoil the fuck yeah. out of this movie yeah did oh one thing is to say did your VHS have the recap narrated by Shatner for I think it did actually yeah. Yeah. because so there was a prologue made for the home video market or I don't know if it's theatrically in Europe but, but because Trek 3 had performed underwhelmingly internationally hmm. um, they changed the title that it comes The Voyage Home Star Trek 4 so the, the video box is Voyage Home is in big letters and Star Trek 4 is a subtitle and that does ring a bell I, yeah. th- I, I, I do remember yeah. there being like a, a recap but then this one it's kind of got it in it anyway when it's showing well we'll get to it in a minute it's being shown to like the Federation Council yeah so it's exactly but it, like literally you see that same footage again yeah. so it's like when I saw this videotape it was weird to see the structure Enterprise twice within five mm. minutes and it's narrated by Shatner so it's just like uh, brings up speed with events of Trek 3 um, but it's all kind of rescored with the new composer for the film, then uh, mm. Rosamund. So yeah, it's kind of just to kind of bring the audiences up to speed and, and let this one stand on its own. Um, I'm like, I'm like 99% it, sure that the version we had on VHS did have that because like it wouldn't have been like, hey, here's the new version with that because the film came out in what 86, 87? 86. Yeah, yeah. and um, this would have been early to mid 90s that we we're watching this yeah. VHS. So it's not like today where you get like. Terminator Ultimate Edition or like this but you know yeah, it was kind of they put it out and that was it sort of thing yes I know, I've, and I've seen I remember renting this particular tape from the mm. you know at my grandparents they didn't unfortunately have it already I was I could have watched uh, you missed Dorsey out Bargo or uh, <laughs> you know In Harm's Way um, Schindler's List like yeah you know, I had a few, there was a few options what a childhood you could have yeah, I think no, I all, the, all the complete I was really getting ahead of myself but the Diana complete funeral on videotape I was like why would anybody watch that again what <laughs> my, my sorry dad, yeah, my dad made me and my brother sit and watch that on television Live yeah. but, on a Saturday. But I've seen, I've like, seen, yeah, I know, but I've seen people like um, I went to a carbuso and somebody like was selling tapes off the television. It was like Diana funeral. It was like who's gonna go around the carbuso and buy the tape for somebody's? But anyway, we do. <laughs> oh, we digress. <laughs> Although my God, I do remember they made. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but they made like a television opera based around Diana's death. Yeah. Uh, like a fictional retelling yeah like but also the nation's reactions to mm. it and I just remember this one clip of it where it cuts to all different people in their homes 
seeing like it on TV and their reactions. And this, I don't know if you remember when she died, everyone you know wanted to go out and actually watch the the state funeral and everything like that of her. It was huge crowds. Yeah, massive crowds. And they cut this kind of, you know, presumably working class couple kind of, and the the wife is really cut off and she's crying <laughs> and she's really upset. And she wants to go to the funeral and, and her bald, angry husband is kind of having a go at her about it. And he, he sings, you get a better view from the telly. <laughs> it's, like, it's the most bizarre piece of opera I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, or The Voyage uh, Home, Star Trek Four. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Um, what I did notice opens with a tribute to the Challenger, mm-hmm. yeah. like which is same year, something quite different. Yeah, well, what, I thought it was last minute. Challenger was in I want to say February '86. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose it it kind of fits in really because it made me think of the motion picture. Um, with the thing of uh, that's uh, involvement and yeah, just of it's Voyager, isn't it? Voyager in what? What is it? Yeah, in it's the Voyager probe. Yeah, it's the Voyager probe. Yeah, yeah. And it made me think of that of you know Star Trek acknowledging like kind of real Where life space well, flight. They had a connection you know. with the shuttle program anyway because the actual original sh- um, never flew in space drop test shuttle. Um, was called Enterprise. It was originally going to be called Constitution, but there was a writing campaign to NASA to call it Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So there's photos floating around of the original series crew at like the christening of, like the the original like the reveal rollout of the first space shuttle. Right. Okay. Um, I say it was just kind of they flew it up and dropped it off the back of a plane a couple of times, um, and then they fired bits of foam into it when um, Columbia crashed to test what would happen to the wings and that was when they were like oh yeah that's how those holes got on those wings <laughs> but um yeah no so the one of the space shuttles is called enterprise it's currently right. sitting on an aircraft carrier in New York. okay yeah but yeah no i mean so that was an interesting opening to kind of you know ground it in some kind of reality and uh, i suppose it, it seems to me that there is a conscious effort in star trek to ground it in that reality of yeah, we are just another part of the space flight journey of like, you know, building from like, you know, Voyager to Challenger to like eventually it will get to this. Yeah, I think, you know, when you try to sell a utopian vision, you've got to say, like, you know, it's not going to be, we want this to happen, but hope we're striving towards this, and, you know, it, it kind of reinforces that this could, you know, this could be the beginning steps of that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, funny, we're talking about Star Wars, I suppose Star Wars seems very disconnected from this world. Like, you know, when you it's read... It's also a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah, you know, galaxy far, far yeah. away. It's it, never exactly, claiming yeah. to be connected. Yeah, it's, it's, that's what yeah. I'm saying. It's like, whereas Star Trek, there's a real grounding in, like, you know, humanity and a continuation of that in many years to come. Very much set in our world, just yes. later. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, first thing uh, I noticed as we got the title sequence up... New score by Leonard Rosenman. Yeah. What else has he done? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, River really? Two. Really? I thought Howard Shaw did Lord. No, of the Lord of the Rings animated movie. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Which, which actually, like, he, he did dip into this. He won an Oscar for adapting the score for Barry Lyndon. Um, so, but he's so that's probably right the music. Yeah, like, because that's he kind yeah. of reorchestrated it and you know, fit it to the film. So really, he won an Oscar for not writing anything. Like, we just <laughs> yeah. a bit of sound mixing. Um, but. Yeah, he's not well regarded because he just um, he recycles a lot of themes. Apparently, right. like, this is quite similar to Lord of the Rings in some respects. For, for, for you know, I love the Goldsmith and Horner ones, 
and this kind of sits it's not as good of course but straight away that opening theme is so different it's it's very jaunty yeah kind of almost does sound because I thought there's always this kind of naval quality with Star Trek and that and that opening theme did seem to have that in it it kind of sounded like a, you know a bit of a sea shanty kind <laughs> yeah, of thing, yeah, type yeah, thing yeah. like yeah and uh, and then that's only enhanced further by when they're renaming the ship Bounty I think this is part three of a trilogy mm following on from Wrath of Khan and uh, Search Especially by the end it feels like this is the end of the trilogy. Well, yeah, I mean that was a really interesting takeaway from this rewatch for me because I haven't seen Voyage Home in a long, long time, you know, since I was quite young. And I did not find out until we did this podcast that it was a trilogy of films. In my head it was always like uh, Khan Spock were like two-parter but actually this is very much a final yeah, part in trilogy yeah it's always very you know also you know previously on yeah, you yeah. Know, bringing up to speed and it's been three months yeah and of course they love to drag out that Genesis shot whenever they can <laughs> yeah. here it is again yes but then one, yeah. didn't we say in one of the ones I think it was Spock where it's um, where are they getting this footage from the Klingons on the ship again and now there's yeah, footage the same footage with, with footage outside of like, the Enterprise blowing yeah, up I saw that I was like who's shooting this like, who filmed this? Well, yeah, like, <laughs> but it's also like, you know, okay, you can get away with the fact, oh, it's the Klingons, like, camera thing. It's because, you know, it's, it gets uploaded instantly. Um, but you know, but then it changes angle and it goes and it zooms in. It's just the exact same procession of shots. Just stick like, the DVD in of uh, yeah, just Searching Spock. Just, yeah, it's, it's annoying. Like it's the camera's pan following the Klingons and things when, but from the internal stuff on the Enterprise. Yes, it's exactly. <laughs> and it's, um, they must, they go back into the, um, the tape or, or the, you know, the footage of free to the camera negative because there's extended shots in that bit because mm. um, it didn't cut away so Christopher Lloyd um, yeah. so yeah no, they, they had the option to play about with the footage and it could have, could have taken it for just one one master shot for example yeah and you know kept it static put a little bit of filter on it and they could have got away with saying this is just the, the, the bridge cam but no <laughs> it's, it's funny that opening <laughs> like tribunal kind of stuff yeah it's kind of like almost cheesy as it is to recap yet again I, I, I thought this really feels like the franchise finding its footing like it felt like a really confident kind of scene just in terms of the actors in it and all the extras it felt like this is a real lived in universe now like before it was always kind of mm-hmm. a bit shaky sci-fi and stretching but now it felt like this is really kind of real I mean with free you had that scene in the cantina which is barely the size of the room we're recording in yeah and it suddenly like, felt like this like, is part of a large world got full, yeah you've got some alien designs mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. a lot of them not very good but like you know, that guy with a massive but, yeah, back head thing yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just like a backwards forehead it's, yeah. it's very similar to, like, it's funny saying cantina similar to the I, I got the idea that they're going for like a kind of Star Wars cantina theme thing there's a lot of shots uh, maybe a second or two and that's it where it's just cutting to other aliens who are sort of sitting in the crowd or reacting to stuff mm-hmm. and you never see them again and right. it's a lot but of blue faced man with like little ears oh no he's an oh no you see them again really. and Andorians yeah. Yeah, and you see the president from Star Trek Six. Like, it, I don't know if it's the same character, but it's definitely the same race. Is the helmsman of the ship in the first scene? Um, he's got the big white. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Fu Manchu guy. Yeah, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, he was like, like you know, just looking silently. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like, guy looked like he's got a story to it. Yeah, like, I, I want to know his character. I don't his know, deal. I don't, think, I don't think it's the same character as the because it comes the president. So wait, he comes back. Okay. Uh, well, there's his race definitely do. Okay. I don't know if it's the same. It looks like the same. It's not. I think it's in Star Trek Six. It's the dude. I think it's um, the guy who plays Clarence Bodica from 
It is? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, and it it's is. not him in this. Yes, that's but, right. Yeah, so in Sonic 6, we'll, we'll, we'll call it that, but it's the baddie from Robocop plays the president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Klingons are back again. They're now in every film. Uh, to this time, call for Kirk to be put on trial. I think. And I've got to say, to be totally honest, on this side, right? when I was watching that uh, tribunal, I couldn't help think that would have made a great movie. Kirk actually going on trial because really you know in this I mean it's very kind of uh, it's kind of the book ending yeah it's, it's not it's not it's a not big kind of focus point it's literally it's just the mm-hmm. beginning they're kind of calling him for to be on trial at the end he kind of turns up and that's it um, but I was actually Kirk on trial for war crimes um, with the kind of Klingons as like prosecution and stuff would be amazing uh, well, you know. traditionally has done courtroom stuff quite well yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Like well two just of the, wait two films Liam yeah <laughs> some of the best next generation episodes are courtroom basically courtroom dramas that c- yeah. you could take them out of the sci-fi setting and just put them in a like mm. contemporary courtroom it's the double um, data like yeah yeah uh, measure of a man of like that totally holds up as just like you can take away the sci-fi stuff and it's just mm. it's just good drama mm, mm. and like so Star Trek has got quite well obviously that hadn't been made at this point I was, that would have been 89 I want to say that one so a couple of years down the road but yeah. like there are some courtroom stuff in the original series and things so it's not like it's an oh, unheard of concept Picard having to defend Wesley Crusher against Stephanie Blavitt <laughs> yeah which <laughs> <laughs> we saw which we chat about well, his defence of that is like well that's your laws in the end we're just going to take the point <laughs> yeah it's like we will boy him out like yeah anyway we're running out of time on this episode we'll just <laughs> yeah. yeah that thing of like a hero being held accountable for something he's done in his film is quite like a modern trend it feels like that happens in a lot of franchises these days so yeah like well this, this is uh, you know Cap Civil War like and Batman yeah, yeah. versus Superman yeah, exactly. is it this That's a big cool theme this mind. year yeah 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 very like, much so even though we're the bad guys traditionally you kind of broke you know these laws according yeah. to, to what you live by and so you gotta stand for it and it's mm. not just a wiping the slate clean maybe it's just because of no, trilogy and, and danger Kirk, but like in his log he's saying you know we will have to face the music mm. and you know I we admit we've done wrong it's like we're not gonna stay here forever we are gonna like answer for this you know and they're taking the unanimous decision to go back it's an interesting so. thing where they're, they're both just sides of people you know because the Klingons did some bad stuff but they kind of blew them all up so everyone's at fault and it's kind of very much of yeah well the Sarek does come in and completely control the situation I mean I love a performance from Mark Leonard with like, very few lines but just does so much this is Spock's farm they did destroy the Grissom like and it's like ah, yes that's pretty true and I don't think the Klingons really can answer that they know. kind of gloss over it they don't know but that's yeah. not that's not important here <laughs> so we have the right reservoirs yeah <laughs> I do think the whole thing with the the trilogy of films of part two, three, and four being a trilogy is kind of quite an odd choice in a lot of ways for that kind of phrase. Considering you know we went over the motion picture of how you know that was not a massive success financially. The kind of the thing of making it a kind of really, I mean, they've really connected. It is more like I mean, half Bennett. Um, who was uh, the writer on some of these films uh, you know did stress that he kind of had his TV producer hat on and they do feel we were talking about such a spot feeling like the next episode in a lot of ways and is I do find that a bit of an odd well, choice I, I, yeah I don't think I, I, you think it's come off quite well like it looks planned but I don't think I think each one was approached as a new kind of follow up because yeah. two mm. you know had to have a reshot ending in terms of like the, the tomb on the surface three you know um uh, that, that was kind of like written very very quickly and this one there were brand new about other ideas it wasn't necessarily going to be you know a continuation it could have been a Star Trek Academy film 
And yeah. you know, also Gene Murray had like lots of ideas about going back in time. He wanted to do so about the JFK assassination as, as far back as Star Trek Two. He wanted them to kind of disrupt history and then for Spock having to kind of like put the history back by killing Kennedy with a modified phaser. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So it's like there's things you know things keep getting brought back up again. So the fact they kind of work really well together and, and looks back retrospectively is like well thought out kind of three uh, part. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, it's just funny because none of the other films, I don't believe, like connect in that same way. I think the difference is is that apart from maybe Spark, which is very much hinging on everything that's happened before, this that you can still watch them as standalone films. You can yeah, watch, you yeah. Watch Khan on its own. And I think you can watch this one on its own because its actual story is so far off from what's been going on. Certainly, it once it gets with, going, anyway. Like, um, I think that this one, I didn't actually when I was watching it again. I didn't remember it taking kind of so long to get going because you're about half hour in before we get to the kind of point of the film, which is the voyage home, the uh, time travel element. Uh, I was like, oh, actually, it takes takes a while to get going, like you know, to really kind of jump into high gear because you have to deal with all the other stuff. That's the same. Well, I think they kind of get to the whole we, we're leaving Vulcan relatively quickly, but mm. then. To establish, you know, the, the reason, the reason why back, going yeah. back, yeah, it does take time. Yeah. I think they do it as quickly as they can, really. Mm. Um, I still and, don't know, you know why, why they left um, Savick there. She's a, she's a terrible actress. Yeah, yeah, but she's the same actress. Yeah, it's the same actress. Same actress. Yeah, but like presumably they're just going back to Starfleet to hand themselves in. Yeah, she's a Starfleet officer. They're getting done in. If anything, she should come with them to escort them, and then she could turn up and be like, "Well, I brought them back." You know, it's like she just hangs out at Vulcan. She's just like, "Well, it was deleted subplot where she's pregnant with Spock's baby." Yeah, really. Yeah, that's all cut. Yeah. And, um, Completely. Yeah. So there's no from, from like, their time on know, the planet when he was yeah. uh, mm. an adolescent. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That would explain why she kind of goes. And, <laughs> <laughs> that would explain why she kind of goes and stands next to Spock's mum and that. Mm-hmm. Other, although that does work on its own of just like, well, they're all saying bye. Well, sort it, of thing, but you know. um, but yes, it doesn't really make narrative sense why she stays behind. But for filming point of view, like it was, I think Nick Meyer did say that the reason why he didn't have there there was because the numbers do on Earth. Like they they have missions for all the original crew to mm. kind of do their things. It's a classic and she's a pair of field triple mission. Yeah, the fifth wheel. So well, um, she could have paired up with poor Sulu, of course, who when they do that pair is left on his own. Yeah, but more of that later. Yeah, more on that later. Um, um, but yeah, you mentioned Nicholas Meyer. Uh, of course, this was the director of Wrath of Khan, who returned to co-write the script yeah. of this. Although apparently he wasn't completely happy with the final film. Yeah, um, I think uh, you know his sequence is all the Earth-based stuff in the past. I think it's, it's, yes. it's his writing style, like yeah, yeah. grounding Star Trek in you know with our world, things we can relate to, and seeing these you know characters in a film or what's it situation. Yeah, works really well. Um, but yeah, he what he wasn't happy with was, uh, I mean, we can I don't we're getting skipped ahead at the end, but like he wanted Gillian to stay behind. Yes, it. and there was other stuff as well, which I'll get on to later. Um, but rewind to the Starfleet Academy thing you mentioned. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting uh, point because apparently, um, yeah, it seems to be a bit of a secular thing with this, where obviously with Leonard Nimoy, originally he threatened to leave for Rothkar, Khan, which is why they killed him off but then managed to secure himself a pay rise and a directing gig for Search Spock. I think Shatner must have been watching him or something like that because then he refused to come back for Star Trek 4. 
secured himself a pay rise and a directing gig for Star Trek Five. That was the thing they said. Oh, okay, like you can direct the next one if yeah. like you come back. There's a really great joke, and I, th- I think it's on Futurama. There's the Star Trek episode on that. Yes. Where um, <laughs> it's talking about like, oh, you got to trust your crew and that, and then uh, like Leonard Nimoy has he says like. Yeah, when I directed Star Trek Four, I got such a great performance out of Bill because I respected him so much. And then Shanna goes, yeah, and then when I directed Star Trek Five, I got such a great uh, performance out of myself because I respected myself so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably very true. Well, it's, it's good that you can take that out of yourself. Well, I am currently reading a certain book in preparation for our Star Ooh, Trek Five: The Fighting Frontier episode. Um, at the time, Do uh, filming that. Uh, there is a book called Captain's Log, uh, the making of Star Trek Five, as told by William Shatner uh, didn't himself. It, didn't it cost you a fine price of a penny? Uh, it did, yeah, a, a, a penny on Amazon, uh, new and used. That's postage, though, right? Yes, and uh, it's actually written by his daughter, Lisbeth Shatner. Um, but he's he's kind of just basically being interviewed in depth. I picture throughout. just pacing a room, speaking. She's just like, ah. yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty much. That's kind of the impression you get. And I'm reading that at the moment, which is his experiences about directing Star Trek Five. Oh so choice quotes. Uh, I think there's going to be some highlighted passages. Yes, uh, <laughs> egocentric <laughs> quotations from uh, that film. But back to Voyage Home because that's for next yeah. month, obviously. But this was um, Nimoy being given more create freedom this time around yes it was didn't, yeah didn't the studio say they liked three but it underperformed and so they said all right have another go and well, i think it's yeah yeah have another go but also you know um it was also numerous choice to kind of lighten thing up yeah two, two and three quite a good dark. choice i think yeah and i think it really needed the, uh, that kind of the lighter tone and um yeah he proved quite adept at like the comedy yeah. i think he was allowed to put his stamp on it basically whereas it sounds like search for spock uh, was more sort of work for hire type thing, you know, which it makes sense being it was his directorial debut. Yeah, and so it was his choice to go for the light tone, his choice to have more eco message in there. Um, you know, and yes, it certainly proved that he had a gift with the light tone, as after all, this is the man who went on to direct Free Men and a Baby, <laughs> um, which I recommend. <laughs> well, you know, it was, uh, on the, my VHS that I had of this, um, there was a kind of interview from the set of with Nimoy and you know he just said that he's in the Paramount lot like in the Gacy decisions a young boy I can ever imagine I would one day be directing like a 26 million dollar movie here on the lot and you know I think it meant a lot to him to be able to kind of you know he appreciated this opportunity and um, you know created with a lot of respect um, and uh, yeah and if this film feels you know very polished in terms of like the effects work yeah um, you know, it does it, and this is ILM again isn't it and um it is. Um, I think some of the shots of the Klingon bird of prey um, going towards the sun look brilliant. Mm-hmm. Really stand up. Yeah. It just feels like a class act, like for for, for a well put together film. I think a lot of the effects in this are really impressive, like the model shots and stuff. Well, like, the, the whales. Like, there's only like five yeah, percent of the shots. They're, are they're animatronic and like mechanical mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and they. they Look pretty damn good. Like, yeah, they don't look massively fake. Right? Yeah, but I did watch this with with my uh, fiance, and uh, she did like laugh when it was the full size one, where it was clearly just like a a, a fin that just comes up and just like <laughs> slop, flops down. But anything where it's full body shots of the yeah, whales are all great. Any shot of, like the eye is very much a plastic eye. Mm. But <laughs> I, you know, I thought some bits might be real. There's so. a long yeah. kind of lingering close up way towards the end of the film where you know the whales are sort of 
when spoilers when they're talking to the, <laughs> when they're talking to the pro when they finally get back to the future um, and it's sort of it's zooming in on the eye and it's like oh that that's the one, that was the one shot where I'm like that's starting to look a little bit rubbery but other than that it's you know mm, they're pretty great yeah I, I think they're really good I don't really notice that and all the yeah. kind of you know like you said the bird of prey that's amazing yeah well it's like they were able to kind of put the money on the interviews with the whales and the, and the location shooting that kind of stuff because they were reusing models from three the space dock was you know, right well apparently they're supposed to be just the free, but it's quite clear that the artists who put it together like we are not getting rid of this put it in storage and, like, and lo and behold yeah it's needed again um, so you know they saved the money on all of that um, you know the Reliant makes another appearance in a, you know, under a different name in the first scene um, Saratoga isn't it yeah Saratoga yeah. and, and you, very diverse crew very oh, the black female captain yes yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I was like that's pretty impressive and, for the time and also the other captain VJ Armatrial from um, the former tennis pro star of Octopussy I knew I'd seen him in something <laughs> yeah um, he was also trying to start an acting career at this point and it failed <laughs> <laughs> last year <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously they were never able to restore power no exactly yeah. <laughs> he just like insisted on doing it for real on a frozen set <laughs> He's really method. Like, uh, yeah, I. Um, one of the things I did notice talking about special effects is one special effect that I couldn't quite get in my head was good or bad. The floaty heads. No, it was that's the, really well done. It, it was it was the pro the um the the pro thing of like you know the the fret. So I think it's kind of doing shot. the um yeah. Well, I was looking at it. Which and, bit? The probe itself. The, the probe itself, uh, yeah, you know. It looks like a giant cigar. Again, the enamel. Well, see, I looked at it and thought it looks like a giant roll of tinfoil. Yeah, I still don't know what that thing was. Yeah, I'd say complete opposite opinion. I think it's it has this organic quality, the way the light bounces off it. It feels like it feels like it could come from the sea or something like that, or, uh, a, you know, a, an undersea animal has kind of evolved to the point where it can travel through space or something like that. Just me, but I think yeah. I like it. I think it, that's the thing. I was completely on the fence for it because I think it was really nicely shot and lit and stuff like that. But I think it just looked, yeah, like I say, I should be looked like a giant rolled tinfoil for some reason. <laughs> and like, it wasn't so, too much red wool. Which suddenly made me think of uh, Bud Moon and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, and also, I couldn't help but think it seemed like another sort of inanimate. Uh, kind of villain like the Star Trek the motion picture with essentially Big Cloud kind of thing you know another but then again um, Leonard Nimoy said one of the whole points of Voyage Home is they wanted a lighter tone with no clear cut villain yeah I think it was was good that they didn't I think I enjoyed that they didn't actually try and explain what what they didn't need to be like what, what is it? Who sent this? Where did it come from? They like need a certain yeah. thing to talk. To. It, it's mm. it's an effect, and then they they what they're trying to do is de- find out how to deal with the effect rather than like what oh the Klingons are in orbit. How are we going to stop the Klingons? It's more kind of like oh this thing's here. We've got to deal with this thing, but they don't need to go into the whole sort of like why is this thing looking for whales or anything? You just know that they need to get whales mm. yeah. because it talks to the whales. It's, mm. Yeah, I think it was good to kind of keep it as like that's having an effect on Earth but the story is them finding the whales rather than the story is them being like oh we've having got to stop it yeah thing. yeah we do, We need to find this super well nobody talks or... about shooting at it no like, no, no, no line that says we've fired everything at it and it keeps on coming yeah it's you know that's good arms the nukes yeah yeah well we're back to the friendship messages of the first film again which is what made me think of that um, but yeah completely the whole thing about this it being this kind of ancient power or something like that that 
obviously whales were around before humans and you know this had talked to them and now it needs to hear them again I just found a really mind-bogglingly interesting concept it just seemed really kind of highfalutin and interesting it's something that that makes kind of perfect sense within this film but if you think of any kind of modern film today doing a thing where Mm. oh yeah there's this thing we won't really explain and it needs whales people would be like what but it kind of really works but yeah you didn't need to spend beyond that did you it was just I just liked this idea of like basically actually earth contacted alien life before we came along and now the aliens are like oh who are these new humans here they're we bring back the whales there's a very telling line from Spock where he just says only human arrogance presume the messages for them and and it's basically a lot about you know it's like we're now at the top of the food chain it's like that arrogance has led to catastrophic things happening for the planet yeah and um, you know that part of that whole ecological message which is you know it's you don't get a lot of that in mainstream Hollywood cinema. It's interesting because think of a sci-fi movie in the last 20 years where aliens or whatever has come to Earth and they've not immediately just been going for the humans. Mm. You know, they're, you know, they'd be hard-pressed to find... Mm. I mean, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find them before this as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's it, that, I think that helps it kind of stand up because you're like, well, this is something a bit different even now. Mm. Like, as you, like you mentioned in uh, Independence Day and things like that. Well, I can't remember if the microphone was on at that point. But, um, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> but like again, like the aliens come here and immediately go to our cities, like as if like okay, well obviously they're here for the humans, like and it's sort of and that, but then this is sort of like it's coming in, it's it's almost like doing the damage to the humans by accident while trying to talk to the whales. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. even acknowledge. It's not. It doesn't acknowledge human humans at all. No, no. It's just there to like for, like and it does, firing at the ocean, being like where are you? Without like yeah. you know, it's not engaging any of them. They just they just, just another effect, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. they just yeah, it's it's causing, so overpowering like, that it's shutting everything down. Um, while it's trying to get an ounce from the oceans, it's not even. It's not like we got this message from it saying like stay away from the whales. Plus, like, if there is a villain, the true villain are whalers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, they, what language do they speak? Is it Norwegian? Like uh, it's a bitchy Norwegian. Forget the Klingons. It's the Norwegians. We've got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I get the impression, Matt. You're in, you're on board with this film so far. Yeah, yeah. more than Search for Salt. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So let's talk about time travel, brothers. Yeah, so I really like the idea of them going back. I wasn't entirely on board with how, because I didn't have uh, the basis that they've done it before in the series or anything. It's so one just... throwaway line from uh, Kirk, when, right. when Bones is like, let's just not do this. <laughs> it suddenly felt like, oh, we can do this any old time, why are you mm. doing it all yeah. the time? I, that's the thing. I agree with you. And yeah. the reason, how just slingshot themselves around the sun, it's all a bit Superman the movie, like spinning around something. Yeah. And like, is. how do they program in the exact time to well, get there? Yeah, I agree with you completely. Like, I actually wrote down. But it kind like, of works that it's not the point of the thing. No, yeah, exactly. It's just it, we've got to get them back tonight. Because it really felt like there's a bit where I think it's Spock and Bones in a corridor or Shatner and Bones. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Shatner's just like, yeah, we're going back in time to grab some whales. And he's like, that sounds crazy. He's like, 
shrug. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Let's do it. Anyway. That's the plot of this one. Like, uh, but yeah, it is time travel. Is basically depicted as no big deal, isn't it? It's kind of like, oh, it's a bit dangerous, and there's a bit of tension like, to the scene where, where they're going back. <laughs> but it seems like something basically, if you've got the balls to do it, could be a regular yeah, thing. Well, but, yeah. it, we'll, we'll talk about flying as well as like the great barrier don't mean cross if you just do it. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the um, so yeah, I, 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 I was interested in this scene because it, there, there's a succession of images which uh, oh, yeah. don't really make much sense together. We've got a, another CGI no. effect very well done, I think, a, more, a very early morphing effect with uh, the characters going from one to the other. Mm. And, and then uh, somebody and then, falling into... Yeah, you've got the X-Files opening sequence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> and then you've got some shots of some reads. And I just wanted a bit of explanation, so I just listened to the commentary for this. Oh, okay. The first clip... Uh, of of this, you know, from the commentary, but anyway, this is trying to explain it. The hero, here we go, here, going in, into his head and in these dreamlike sequences. The ideas are all there. I just, I, I'm not sure that they're executed as well as they could have. If we'd had more time, we simply ran out of time. And then the money was a factor, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, more time! Yeah, so more, more, it doesn't look like they, that was, time was an issue. You've got CGI. Images which probably took weeks to yeah. render. It's like you had all the time in the world. Like you know, to come say. But Shatner goes on to say, um, "This is a very you know a good vision of somebody somebody's vision of what time travel might <laughs> yeah. look like." It's like he's talking about is a completely separate part of the thing. He's like, "Oh yeah, very good. I had no idea yeah. about this. Someone had a very good idea. I'm not on board, but well done to them." Yeah, exactly. So I mean, very diplomatic. Eventually, says, I, "I've lost my um, objectivity with this." Uh, <laughs> so really odd, but I, I, it's a really odd but interesting. And, in some ways, kind of beautiful sequence, I think. I, I do like it. Mm. I do like it, despite yeah. it being a bit mad. Yeah, I do, it's a bit mad. I like the white painted set of uh, Shatner, you know, sitting in his chair and the difference being painted white. It's quite good. good yeah, well, they're kind of like, there's a bit, looks like all their heads are going through quicksand and stuff like that. It's, uh, it is really, it's really odd, but, you know, it's, it's, it errs on the side of arty as opposed to, like, cheesy. Like, they yeah, have, they could have had yeah, their faces it kind going. Of skirt, it skirts that line, and I think it just about works. Well, I say, again, it's another thing that they didn't feel the need to explain. Like they just kind of had it, and it wasn't like your work was like, "Wow, did anybody else see that weird effect? We need to find out what happened there." He yeah. just kind of like they come to, mm. and he's just like, "Hmm, yeah," and then they move on, yeah. sort of thing. I yeah, do, I, yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting bit because it kind of you know. How do you visualise that, like, without just doing the usual people rocking in chairs and throwing themselves against the floor? Exactly. Shake yeah. the camera. Although there's a lot of camera shaking different. going on as they're flying towards the sun to yeah. go around it. Mm. The point where I noticed, on, I watched it on the Blu-ray, and like, you can notice. I, I don't know whether I've just gotten used to like other Star Trek ones or just like more modern things where it's you know they might add in digital camera shake or whatever but you can see that they're clearly rocking the camera so hard it's not actually in focus a lot of the times yeah. like, but I don't know whether I was just like well I haven't yeah. noticed that before it's very unforgiving it's really yeah. 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 you wouldn't be in focus if you were being shook around. that's some real camera shake <laughs> I, I do think it's a shame we didn't get to see much of the destruction the probe was causing before we go back like it's all done on kind of like vid screens or there's that bit where like the window, window breaks, breaks yeah. because of it. I, it, know, it, I was scared of windows breaking. It, it, <laughs> it's so it's if, if you need to show shit going down, window breaks. Because they're making <laughs> out like it's really causing an absolute catastrophic effect to the planet. We we get the idea of some kind of you know apocalyptic 
type happenings, but because we don't see it, we kind of have to fill in that blanks ourselves. It did seem like this must be a kind of budget-saving device. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tell-not-show thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's always you know going to be an issue unless you do it very well, especially when you're setting something up where it's, oh, we're going to do this dangerous thing. It's like, well, why are you doing it? We need to kind of see why you're doing it. I mean, the most we get of that is where it shows the ship's kind of getting powered down by it and all they really do is turn the lights off on the model <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I suppose you know not how, just how fall out of space and, and how he is freezing to death that's true to be fair we've got his word to, I'm not going to I'm not going to question his word yeah. you know um, I think you know you see the folks being very surprised and you get some sped up, sped up footage of uh, clouds moving yeah yeah I, I think I think I, get, I buy the earth getting screwed up so now we are in 86, we can tell because of the pollution content in the atmosphere. <laughs> and, Easy way to And I like that they, you know, they have to cloak to avoid these scanners of the day, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah, very yeah. optimistic. Yeah. yeah. It might take a few people several days with a telescope to be like, that's, I that's not normally there. I would have loved a shot of just the, the, the you know, the bird of prey just crashing into loads of like satellites, just bouncing <laughs> off it, smashing. It's like people losing television on, on Earth. Somebody in a hot like, yeah. just, Whoa! I don't, yeah, I think it would have been a good, nice flash, but um, maybe this is a nice time for a little tangent to talk about what could have been with Eddie Murphy. Oh, I talked about this as well, go on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so this, basically, you know, Eddie Murphy at his point of career has had the biggest hit of 1984. He is a huge star. You talk about Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills yeah. Cop. Um, he hasn't followed up with The Golden Child yet. <laughs> so he expressed his interest in being a, he's a big Trek fan. Yeah. They write a part for him. Well, the writer of Beverly Hills Cop did the first draft. Dan Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we've got that. And um, Tom Riffin wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to play a Starfleet officer or a, an alien or something. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wrote a part for him as a scientist, essentially Dr. Lula. Yeah, basically. Sort of thing. A UFO obsessed scientist who mm. sees the, the bird of prey with the Super Bowl. And apparently he's the only one who sees it. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I have chosen. Yeah. For yeah. narrative reasons. For narrative reasons, he didn't it. So what, what's people's feeling about where this could have gone? I, I'm, glad, I'm glad they didn't do it. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I found out about this earlier as well while researching the film. And it was after I noticed the rather... There's a very funny sequence where Kirk and Spock are on the bus... And there's the kind of punk rocker who is Gary Blaster annoying everyone and Kurt tells him if he can like turn it down and he doesn't and then of course Spock gets him with the Vulcan nerve pinch or whatever and he goes out which is hilarious that, that moment I should have said on, on episode one in, in terms of what I've seen that was the one bit from this I'd seen from Paul showing it to me during <laughs> school because I remembered as soon as it started happening I was like he's going to say and I say screw you because he did it for like ages during school and it was probably which is great but then I noticed that Kirk goes off on this big like monologue of complaining about every one of this era swearing <laughs> he starts saying about like oh yeah like you know all the literature is full of swearing these said everyone's swearing nobody pays uh, any attention to you unless you swear okay. yeah and I <laughs> thought this is a bit of an odd thing to kind of bang on about but yeah, because we didn't have Eddie Murphy saying fuck everything yeah but then I found out about Eddie Murphy not being it and basically he said he disliked the part and everything like so basically insulted their kind of script 
And for me, this felt like a sort of because I'm Ed. What was, was Eddie Murphy? Yeah. Reference to it. What was Eddie Murphy famous for at the time? Swearing a lot oh, in yeah, films yeah. and stand up. Yeah, I was gonna say, had he brought out his stand up? Yeah, this yeah, was yeah, Raw was all Raw was eighty three and all that. All way before this, like Beverly Hills Cop is eighty four. You've had forty eight hours. All you know, a litany of playing the homeless man and trading places. Yeah, so an absolute litany of effing and jeffing was like Murphy's career. And this did seem like some kind of you know slight against Murphy, as in, oh, we we don't need swearing in Star Trek, Murphy. Yeah, being like, well, well, you know, what an uncivilized area with this era. With this much swearing, everybody has to do it all the time just to be heard. Yeah, we're glad yeah. you're not here. Like, yeah, so that that's kind of what it seemed to me. I think Star Trek, like. in this instance, has the last laugh. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, certainly if we look at Murphy's career now. Yeah, well, uh, even in the time, you know, he took Golden Child, awful film. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'd even heard of it before well, researching this, is, this, this is film. one of the more well regarded Star Trek films yeah, as well. Yeah. And I do like, feel yeah. like I mean, this is remembered as the one with the whales where yeah. it's not remembered as the one with Eddie Murphy and I think you know, it's the comedic it, one well, so yeah, it would be I think remembered for his part in it he would have probably been too you know forced them to put more bits of him in I perhaps you think mm. his ego would have been high uh, certainly behind the scenes coming to America in a couple of years time all the talk is of Murphy's ego being like uncontrollable um, so yeah I think it would have been like a detriment to the film I feel this has got the right amount of comedy in it it's a Star Trek film but it's, it's the least Star Trek-y film because most of it a lot mm. of it's in 1986 but there's enough humorous situations and misunderstandings and things that it still fits with the others whereas I feel like if it really would have been trying to go full yeah. comedy movie with Eddie yeah. Murphy and they had me sold yeah. from when they walk off from the ship and say everybody remember where we parked oh yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean it seemed like a very similar situation to Richard Pryor making an appearance in Superman 3 yeah where they hired him because you know he was this big stand up of the day expecting him to come in and do improv and bring comedy to the piece but he was such a massive Superman fan that when he got on set he refused to change any of the script yeah. uh, which was not very good <laughs> to begin with it was like oh he's going to really do something like <laughs> get elevate the material yeah. um, I mean actually that's a funny kind of there's a bit of uh, paralleling with the Superman <sighs> movie franchise not only with Superman 3 of them hiring Richard Pryor you know I suppose if they got Eddie Murphy in this this would have been similar but also Star Trek's Quest for Peace uh, yeah Superman 4 <laughs> Quest for Peace again like the year after I think this film yeah. and you yeah, very much again the kind of environmental message kind mm-hmm. of you know being made by the films obviously Quest for Peace and Superman 3 didn't do it anyway here as well as this movie did so I think perhaps Murphy not appearing was for the best <laughs> quest for peace search for Spock you know yeah. it was starting to make sense you know uh, I like Gillian um, White's character in this film but I think you know she's the right kind of like balance of you know a little bit she's very like 80s uh, female lead. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. But you know, has like a high placing job, but is a bit skittish and goes yeah. in the. Got a really crappy, crappy car. Yeah. yeah. Like for a, for a doctor like who works in an institute, she's in a pickup truck. Yeah. And then in short circuit, with what I think, you know, very good comparison to this, yeah. where she's kind of uh, has a crappy kind of vehicle and is a bit skittish. Um, but what, what I'm thinking is, like, is this her first tour that she's ever done for the. Uh, Oceanographic Institute because she said to her <laughs> colleague uh, Oceanographic I don't know what's the station the Cetacean Institute she goes to her colleague at the front desk and goes here I go is it, would she say that every day <laughs> I don't know but then she goes like five times a day yeah here I go of course you wish me luck I've never done this before not every day she's a really big white space fan <laughs> uh, and then she's getting choked up at the video 
And it's like, <laughs> does she like just basically break down every fight which she runs a She day. really loves these. She words. gives it her all. <laughs> yeah, every, these people, it's her first time every time. Every yeah. tour is yeah. someone's first tour. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. they even bury unborn calves. And she does this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. See her starting to well up and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. So I just feel like you know they're playing it, you know, to the hilt for her, for, you know, her one thousandth time doing the tour. But you know, this is a very special tour. Well, she said she's it's... like the assistant director or something. Mm. So I got the feeling maybe the usual tour guy called in sick. So that might have been like a sort of like, Gillian, mm. can you just cover the tour? Mm. We need to give the tour, yeah. and everyone like well, I, stands I, on lunch, I and really like you know, <laughs> you know, um, maybe there should be extra scenes with her and that sleaze away. To, you know, I don't. Know where, what job he was doing, apart from coming along and giving her bad advice. But you know, they shut up the office before they like, oh, don't do the tour. Like the guys called. I did feel like he'd had some scenes cut because he was in like two shots, mm-hmm. and like, well, you know. She has a conversation with him one day and then the next day is him going like yeah we got rid of them in the night so you wouldn't be angry and it's like I feel like there was like meant to be more of a got rid of them in the night <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd be angry yeah you know you're really like emotional <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that like, I have a problem with that you hired all these people to do it at night and paid them double time exactly it's because you might get a bit upset that's basically what he <laughs> says there we like, know you cry on every tour so <laughs> but like, I, I got the feeling like there was meant to have been like an implied like more of a relationship whether they were like you know they didn't get on or whatever and it might have gotten cut because yeah. it, it felt like he just he, he just pops up once or twice and he's clearly meant to be like a boss but mm. there's not a lot of time spent on it at all yeah. but it, it did feel like cut scenes had happened there but I didn't yeah I didn't have time to look at the extras there was, no, <laughs> there's only there's no delete scenes on the discs um, but there yeah. is uh, there are no cutscenes that I know about. Um, potentially, well, it's script for the, you know, Spock's baby, potentially for Savic. Um, then there was going to be more Sulu action on Earth, where he, where they have this big wide shot where they come across the yellow pages, um, bit in San Francisco, you know, and get the idea to kind of look it up. Um, uh, but they, there's a there's an Asian kind of run out at that point, and you would have learned that the young lad there would have been his great 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 grandfather. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene scripted where he realises this and sort of has a little moment with him, but the child actor like got stage fright and broke down and was tired crying. So, so you know, George Decay was robbed of his kind of his little tidbit because he did say, "I'm from San Francisco. I was born there." Yeah, so it sets it up that you know he, we might run into some of his relatives. And later on, also, he, he when he steals a helicopter, the bit where he actually steals a helicopter was cut. Yeah. He was supposed to throw a, a, the guy's cap off his head or something like that, and the guy go, "Whoa, my hat!" And then while he's chasing his hat, Sulu nicks the helicopter. Uh, but yeah, so of like he had the most bits. So those moments are really cute as well when he first gets to the chopper and he's kind of like having that moment with the pilot. It's just yeah. Like, oh, yeah. But he gets royally done over, doesn't he? Because that's it. It's that scene that's where it. everyone else. In the- Get split off into these pairs, everything like that. Very reminiscent of actually the latest Dodge Up, mm-hmm. Dodge Up Beyond, done a lot better here, I think. Um, but Sulu flies solo and literally just gets that one scene and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, but he does yeah. get that great line out of it when they're back in the Bird of Prey. He's like, I hope I remember how to do this. I got used to the Huey. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, we haven't even seen him flying it that much. Yeah. Think. So even that feels a bit kind of, you know, disjointed. Um, this whole fish out of water thing in general, I really quite enjoy it. Yeah, I it's like great. how it's, I guess, like a classic um, Star Trek, like away mission, but it's to Earth, to, it's to us, off the time. Yeah. Basic. So it's these characters from the future having their big, like, 
we're going to an alien planet to do a thing, mm. but it's but it's us, and it's our own time. Yeah, and they, they and I like where they don't have any understanding really of the value of money, and they he trades yeah. in his glasses. Um, for like a hundred dollars yeah, or something. Yeah, that so <laughs> looking at it, unexpected. I love that moment where I mean, not only is that a hilarious moment anyway, but I love when um, I love afterwards you get the scene where he's handing out the money to yeah, all the crew members, out, yeah. and there's like you know seven of them or whatever. Like, and you see, you see your feet, they're gonna get like I don't know, like twelve bucks each or so. He's like, oh, don't spend it all at once. He's like some kind of like frugal father. Like, it's like he's giving out pocket money. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that. That's, that's my favorite lens as well. And the, you know, the, what does it mean? Exact change. Well, in fact, he actually really got exact change by the time he's divvied it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's just as. I just think what are they spending this money on uh, yeah it's just what are they going to get for that like a couple of Hershey bars <laughs> like, <laughs> won't even cover his bus fare to uh, yeah. where they end up going but um, oh. who's fav- who, what's your favourite subplot I think for me it's Scotty and McCoy yeah I'd go with that one Scotty's uh, exaggerated typing was just amazing <laughs> although that said I do, I do like the conclusion of the Chekhov bit when yeah. they have to go to the hospital yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <coughs> I mean, that's the thing. They're all really quite good. I think the Chekhov stuff, admittedly, only takes off after Ahura fucks off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because actually on his own, because there is something really interesting about, you know, in the 80s, where still kind of the remnants of the Cold mm. War are still around with this Russian kind of being caught. Just asking for the uh, yeah, and they, they, <laughs> they obviously, when they catch him, think he's spying or something like that. And so that that's a really interesting road to go down and a nice moment for Chekhov to have, to have to try and escape on his own. Yeah, the most like politically incorrect, like, a, a interviewer, interrogator as well. <laughs> yeah. They left the door open as well. Like, I can't believe oh, that. Awful. Like, I mean, like, what I think it says, like, Chekhov, bloody lucky not to be shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the amount of, like, guns around that naval base. He just runs away. Just, yeah. But yeah, Scotty and McCoy are very much a comedy duo in this one, aren't they? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're working very well together. A great Paul's fun fact, this is a real fact, not my one about Radiohead. Okay. We talked about stuff there. So OK Computer was not like inspired by Hello Computer, um, <laughs> at least to my knowledge. Um, but Transparent Aluminum was invented in 2009. Not seeing a lot of use though, yeah. <laughs> Not really, but like they, you know, they do. They they say they're going to invent it in this film, mm, mm. and it's actually a reality now. So but was it that character from Star Trek Four who invented it? Oh, that yeah, he, he quit acting. Uh, he went <laughs> up to Stanford and uh, been working ever since. <laughs> That's what we really. I guess need this to is say. one of the many cases of Star Trek predicting future technologies, right? Because that's yeah. kind of the thing. I think it's a great way to work it out. I mean, of course, there's a very good plot point to how they need it, like for this for the whale tank, but. You know, so they have to kind of work out ways to this. We need to, don't need to go too high, aim too high. We've got to kind of aim just realistic enough that it could come off. Yeah, if we want this, you know, future to come, you know, because we need these to kind of reinforce the idea that we will eventually become a utopian society and not have money. Mm. <laughs> but I think all that stuff, like you say, all the fish out of water stuff, basically the entire segment of the film that's set in the past is pretty great I mean that's what makes the film isn't it completely Uh, all that fish out of water comedy so basically all the sequences written by Maya I love how as soon as we get back to 80s San Francisco 
the film becomes more like a typical 80s mm. movie of that era the even with the funky music yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's proper like it's almost Ghostbusters-ish with yeah, the yeah, of, like, yeah. there's the slap bass and this like yeah. it's just really funky as soon as yeah. it shows the city and you're yeah. like wow look at all this you know big city like, yeah. do, 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 and even the way it's shot it feels because this is the first proper location filming of the film series isn't it it's a jazz fusion band yeah I really really like it I think all the comedy beats work really nicely and it could have gone really off it could have like it could not have worked as well as it did like it's like the, like a fourth Star Wars film at the time taking place in the 30s or like yeah Jason Bourne being a rom-com or something like it just it, it shouldn't kind of work but it kind of it does. threads the line quite well because it could, could very easily have just been incredibly cheesy yeah um, but they it's, I it's, guess it, it is yeah it is but it's self-aware about it I think because yeah. it knows that like you know with playing with the whole they don't know the value of money thing and that but like they could have just had them be like I don't know I don't want to speculate what they could have had them do but like you know it just sort of it's played for the laugh but then it also it's got a purpose as well mm. so it's sort of it's not just like oh here's the crew of the Enterprise getting wacky in the 80s you know <laughs> yeah. it's sort of they're, they're doing stuff they're just, just mission. mumbling yeah, their way through it that's it's, all it's a mission that doesn't actually encounter too many obstacles no to be honest no. I mean Gillian actually is pretty you know um but, you know, she's very amenable with like the whole situation. I mean, he's, she sort of at their dinner. You know, do you, do you trust me implicitly? You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, she, when he says I'm from the future, from space, she's like, yeah, I get it. Like, pretty yeah, much. She, she adjusts very well to even being in the future. She's just like, right, I'm off to go live. My oh, see, see, I got, <laughs> the, I got the feeling he, she was like 100 percent just humouring him and thought he was crazy right up until the point she ran into the invisible bird of prey. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. Well, she does go screaming. I mean, no, because like, it takes like a bob to get rid of the whales at night time. Yeah. So it's like that's it. Okay, all I've got left is this crazy idea that this guy's in the future. Gonna go with that now. Yeah. yeah, she's like, I've got nothing for me here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually you're right really apart from the checkoff stuff it all goes pretty smoothly doesn't yeah. it like yeah that's the only moment where they have a bit of kind a of crisis. danger yeah, and tension. Yeah. yeah 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 there's no to fallout to um, McCoy and Scott giving the transparent aluminum formula to yeah. just a random just well, last yeah. company well, he, he was, was the guy who invented it so there yeah. you go so he just gets it a little bit earlier so yeah, yeah. I suppose he can the continuity too much. Well, there's not even a big fight to get the whales, is there? It's not like the army's called out or something like that, and they're kind of, no, you just fight them. It's, just... it's a brilliant effect with the bird of prey over the young guests. Oh, that's a great shot with yeah, the, yeah, in front of the whaling ship. Yeah. Well, I gotta ask you this, Adam. Like, Star Trek, is it an inconsistency that they can't? Well, there's various occasions where people get beamed into the bird of prey whilst it's cloaked. Can you beam in whilst it's cloaked? You can't, you can't beam through shields, I think you can beam while cloaked. Yes. So they, like, they beam Riker off of one while it's cloaked, and they beam another guy off of one while one's cloaked in Next Generation. So as long as the shields aren't up, it's... Yeah, it, it can't fire its guns while it's cloaked, and it can't fire... No, it can't have its shields up when it's cloaked. Yeah. And, and they can yeah, yeah, and they can't fire when cloaked, but they, can, they can't beam through shields. So it's sort of like there's a lot of... Yeah. It's like rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Shield up, no beam, but beam. Shield cloaked. down, can cloak. I don't know. Yeah, they can't yeah. have the cloak and the shield running at the same time, yeah. sort of thing. Funny. Oh, that's good. Clear that for me. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Funny you were saying about um, reasons for having them back in the past. I was reading about like some of the other ideas they have, because basically they had this concept of a problem from the future that could only be fixed by something from the past that was always there they're there from like kind of the start going okay we go to this time travel idea but they were obviously coming up with ideas of things that 
would do that and one of them was about violin makers that there was no violin makers and they had to go back to the past oh to get something back. And, and I was just like I can't even. What would so, you so use what that was the, like, Yeah, what's the problem they're trying to solve? I, I guess this time the probe was pumping out violin music. I guess they were like, we just don't we, have the instrument. The probe's like, we need this place is not classy enough. Yeah, we need to. <laughs> I mean, that's really weird, especially as I swear. Kirk at some point plays a violin. In yeah, the doesn't series. he have one in his room? In Isn't the... that kind of like you know to for the master and commander style? Um, like yeah. Well, in the series, like Spock plays like a weird kind of loot thing. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I, I not. Maybe I'm imagining. Uh, da- Data plays maybe. violin. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So but, that's, yeah. but that's in the fi- but TNG's in the future, isn't <laughs> it? So. Yeah, and it's cheap with data, really, isn't it? Because you just program and do it. That's true. Like, yeah, okay, it's okay. Like let's see. Just... The car's got his fleet, right? So, yeah, I, you also, there was, a, there was something to do with the rainforest as well, wasn't there? But it was sort of trying to find yes. a bit of like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. some plant or something. Um, something like that. There was one of the other versions, uh, but I didn't think that was as like funny as Violin Makers. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I really enjoyed all the scenes in the hospital. With bones, yeah. that was a time for yeah. pure like bones having a doctor off of the people, yeah. all the stuff he had. All just, like, oh, really primitive pain. He gives yeah. the old lady yeah. the pill, yeah, because uh, she needs really kidney, kidney dialysis. She's like, oh, my liver! <laughs> Don't <laughs> yeah. give me a pill now, all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, doesn't he say like we can't leave him alone with 21st century medicine or something? Like, yeah, it's very, very funny. Bring butchers. <laughs> um, so once you once you've been up the whales. Um, like Doohan gets his uh, James Doohan gets his favourite line of any of the films which is there be whales here like and I, I think it's my favourite one of his as well the way he delivers it when he sees them beamed in and he's just so excited to have uh, have the whales beamed oh, <laughs> that's his favourite line yeah isn't I do have a problem with the timeline in that thing because like the whales go like overnight because they don't want to upset Gillian yeah. she runs to the park get they save Chekhov presumably within the next hour or so yeah um, but by then the whales have already been flown out to Alaska released into nowhere this is all within the course of presumably about nine hours yes like yeah. how long is a flight to Alaska on a regular plane let alone somehow draining a tank and putting two whales on a plane to get them to Alaska and then releasing them in yeah, the course and also, of on a bullet train they just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the reason was when they just let them go in San Francisco and let them swim yeah out, but I mean, how did they transport whales? Like, yeah. I know. Just, it just, well, no, it, I, can, I can buy that they've got a way to transport them. What I can't buy is how quick it all seemed to happen. Yeah, on like, the back of a truck. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, we're simply hosing them down every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I personally don't want to leave 1986 to yet. Uh, I think I can't want to go back because there's other stuff to talk about. And uh, things like Spock's kind of clothing choices. In this film, oh. where uh, first of all, headband yeah, the bandana, yeah. absolutely lovely moment, a really nice reaction shots between him, Kirk, and mm. McCoy. Well, Kirk's well. kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that works. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's all you need. It may... But also, the the bit where Spock is swimming with the whales, why is Spock wearing like? 
whitey whitey. Why is <laughs> well, it's, it's his Vulcan robes from the beginning, isn't it? And then yeah. like he makes a bandana by tearing a bit off, and I think I'm guessing it's just implied that's what he's wearing underneath them. Mm. It's sort of. But he's wearing pants. Oh yeah, yeah. He's wearing actual pants. Vulcan way. Vulcan commando. Which I found very odd. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, why is so he? So you're saying it would have wearing... been funnier if they just see like make just a. <laughs> Donald ducking it. He's wearing a shirt still, but like he's oh. just—he doesn't but, want to get his robes wet. And uh, and he says at one point in this, uh, pushing the eco message home to hunt a species to extinction is not logical. And like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, right on, Spock. Funnily enough, random coincidence. I happened to visit. Uh, we live in Brighton. And there's a famous museum here. There's the Booth Museum. Uh, it's basically um, this guy Douglas Booth left behind his collection of stuffed animals that he'd hunted over the years. He had this kind of desire to basically collect one of every animal kind of around, which he would obviously go and shoot and then stuff and then put yeah, on like display. A psychopathic Noah. And he left it. <laughs> he left it one. to the city. It's this. It's this giant, uh, huge kind of like it's like an aircraft hangar. And there's loads of cases of kind of all these animals and stuff. And a lot of them have put it extinct due to hunting. <laughs> I'm just like, well, this is kind of adding insult to injury. Yeah, it's just going like... Me. Yeah, yeah, it's going, yeah, Gigi, unfortunately, this was the, the last, last one. I did, the last one. I did shoot it. So it just only... Having gone there yesterday, when I watched this film this morning, that message really hit home for me. Yeah. I think Spock's bang on. <laughs> so he's got it right. But also we need to talk about the date. Yes. Well, is it? Is it a well, You know, it goes like a date, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, I think I mean, it does. Kirk is really trying to blanch off. Um, He's definitely trying it on. Around a lot of my early dates, where you know I would lean across the table and say, "Do you trust me?" Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they soon I, regret it. I mean, you know, Adam doesn't know this yet, but this is the first. Well, for this is our first meeting, so this is essentially is, our first yeah, date. Yeah. Uh, how do you think it's going so far? Pretty well. Do you trust me? Yeah, <laughs> implicitly. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Oh, but what I want to know is, how does a nice girl like you get to be a marine biologist? Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that felt that for Kirk, a man from what is he in the twenty fourth century? Yeah. Or so like, he's just like he's like read some literature the period and it's just like oh, how do we talk to women oh yeah talk down to them perhaps you watch Moonraker with Roger Moore I was going to say that the actual thing it it, it it manages to not be quite as bad as Roger late Roger Moore Bond in like the age difference thing and I think it's played quite well in that she clearly doesn't think it's a date she's yeah. just meeting him for dinner but like he's, yeah. he's putting on the Shatner charm Yeah, but, she, but she's not really having any of it actually really you know I don't know if she does realise he's doing a little bit because she kind of like runs to hug him with the transport but again it's just to get on board she's, yeah, like, silly old yeah, man. Yeah, where she's like, you know, oh, um, I'll call you. Yeah, yeah, she's like, oh, I've got a posting on another ship. I guess I'll see you later. And he's like, oh, how will I? How will well, I? No, I have no intention of seeing you again. Yeah. Yeah. How about I call you? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, oh, it's brutal. Yeah, shut down, Shatner. <laughs> it's funny that they we were talking about Eddie Murphy was originally meant to basically play her role, like fulfill that kind of like mm. you know part. 
Um, I'd love to see Shatner flirt with her. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently, it was cha- only changed to a woman such because Shatner demanded a love interest, but that is something that Nicholas Meyer denied later on. But I don't know. Nobody you know, told us Shatner it wasn't politics <laughs> or not. But he certainly plays as if yeah. it is a love interest. He's cracking onto her like anything. But the uh, date, we've actually uh, got something wrong. Yeah, this, uh, this spotlight date of ours, we have. Some California lager here from San Francisco. Well, we try to source Michelob, which is what they're drinking in, in the film. In the film. I, I, you know, I googled it whilst I was still watching it to try. Like, is this going to be possible? Is it still made? Is it? It is still made. It's the they got it Bud Light, so you'd think it'd be available, but it just doesn't come over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But instead, we replaced it with basically Michelob is a pale lager, so obviously we wanted to get something comparative, and because the film is set in San Francisco got hold of ourselves as you say the California Lager Anchor which is brewed and bottled by Anchor Brewing Company uh, very nice it is too 1705 Mariposa Street San Francisco California USA it's quite smooth so there you go it was very very nice but yeah, you just didn't bring enough of it that's all <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's true <laughs> well, thank we're, you anyway well to be fair they were running out of bottles I, I got I these think bottles out, didn't think, yeah if there's one left maybe <laughs> like uh, yeah and they not much Burst demand usually <laughs> for the uh, I mean, that California uh, uh, but they also have a very fine meal and yeah, I'm feeling rather that. peckish right now I've got to say <laughs> well this is where this is where we uh, whoa this is this is uh, not Replay. Is Spock going to put in the order? We're going to give a call to a local pizza joint and try and get the exact pizza. Are you going to attempt a Shatner voice? Uh, I think you should. (laughs) (laughs) For the uh... sorry, I didn't didn't want to put you on the spot there, but yeah, put you on the spot. We we have a local pizza thing nearby. Yeah, this is a. We're going to see if we can get ourselves a custom job. Hello, I'd like to order a pizza, please. Uh, sorry, unfortunately, we broke the oven. And, uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's very unfortunate. Oh, yeah. So, no pizzas today. We cut up it! The pizza's coming! If the oven was working, would we, be, would, we, would we have been able to put in an order for a custom pizza? So, you know, <laughs> can, can we go off menu a little bit? Today, no. I know, I know today, I know today, not today. Scotty, you've got to cook faster than that. Yeah, but just like, um, would I be able to do mushrooms, pepperoni, extra onions, like, on another day? For another day, mate. Perfect, perfect. Well, you'll be hearing from me for sure. All right, well, I hope you get your oven fixed soon, then. <laughs> right, pizza Bye. it is. Bye. Oh. <laughs> There you go. That was a uh, that was a great. Oh, uh, <laughs> the, the shields are down. Oh, uh, cutting room floor. I think. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, that's fate, right there. <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so you couldn't get the Michelin. We couldn't get the pizza. <laughs> yeah, complete disaster. Our first fiend food. Yeah. You know what we need to do? Mm. Get back to 1986. <laughs> Probably be a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely. Okay, well, I am really peckish now, so... Uh, you were really hoping that. Yeah, I was really, really hoping the oven wouldn't be broken. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, I think we should Leave move... 1986. <laughs> Leave and get and move closer towards the end of the film <laughs> so we can get some food. Um, so, they go back to the future. 
and it's a shame Christopher Lloyd was in the last one. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, very, very oh. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the mission is a success. So I guess the whales just speak in Earth's ocean, and cigar ship in the sky hears it. Like it, it wasn't hugely, su- it wasn't particularly successful in explaining that, was no. it? It was just kind <laughs> of like, they need to, just like you know, they go there, they they hear something, you know, and then respond to. It. I mean, they have it's, it's heavily in it. They have the, the capability to have conversations. I mean, talk to Spock, mm. and because he, he communicates their intentions to them, and they're like, we're fine with this. Let's get get me out of this tank. Because mm. at that point they don't know they're going to get you know taken to Alaska and you know, harpooned, so you know preferable to be taken to the future I think. Um, so the only thing is that you know we have some great underwater shots of Shatner's toupee, like it really lets water <laughs> tremendously. I, I found the peril in that scene kind of false. Really, we know that they get you know it's kind of like a last minute. Oh, we feel like we maybe we ought to put something. They've already in, yeah. yeah, they've already crashed the ship. Yeah, like it would have been very easy at that point to just be like, open the bay doors and the bay doors open, and then they get out and they're stood on the front and watch the whales. Yeah. It felt like unnecessary peril to have Shatner having to swim down and unlock a thing, and then that's it. Really, it's not really and any extra, isn't it? And it takes a long time actually after the the whales are released for the whole message to take place, mm. and you've got quite an extended bit. It'd be nice for them to kind of just realise it, it works and fall in this. I like them sort of. Having a bit of a laugh in the in the water after the mission success. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That was nice. Um, but yeah, no, the real tension was the two pay glue. Whether it's going to hold or not for me, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! But yeah, they they make it back, don't they? And it all gets kind of sorted out. Something that Nicholas Meyer, the co-writer, was not too happy about. Well, he felt that that humanity should face up to its problems in the here and now. Yeah, and she should stay behind and fight for the whales. You yeah. Know, um, survival despite the paradox it may cause if he does manage to save them I actually agree with him Uh, I've got a quote here from him that says uh, the end in the movie detracts from the importance of people in the present taking the responsibility for ecology and preventing problems of the future by doing something today rather than catering to the fancy desires of being able to be transported in time to the near utopian future I really agree with him I actually think that he's spot on there and um, just wait for future people to come and yeah, sort them out. I, I think the film's message would have been stronger, um, you know, if they'd gone his way. I, I really do, and especially considering I think a lot of people, you know, when they talk about things like Star Trek, is this utopian ideals, and the fact is, we're not there yet. And you know, so I think he was right. A more realistic. Well, it could have been. The thing is, like, you get to the whales, and you know, you have this opportunity to kind of talk with them. You could have had like Spock, and you know, Mike with them, and, and they say, you know, we'll tell you what to say. We know that we know the probe's coming. We'll just tell you what to say. And you need to kind of put it in your computers, and then you have the message. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they say earlier on, we know. Well, yeah, we can make the signal, but we would. It's like we would just be gibberish. Yes. So, so it's like actually, you know, he could communicate with the whales some way. And, um, and bring the message back with the ship. I mean, computers can replicate it, and then it's just like... It does, though, unfortunately, run into the time hole... Uh, time, time hole. The time travel problem there of, like, if they then change the past, it then they haven't got the same future to go back It's true, actually. Even I was thinking about this film called um, The Electric Horseman, where um, like, Robert Redford steals a horse and takes it to, like, this hidden prairie... Like um, you know, where all these horses roam free, and that kind of things away from like um, the corporations that kind of want it to be their kind of mascot. And I just think like you know, there could have been a bit where they take the whale to a safe kind of place, where away from the hunters, and then they, they're thus sort of 
protecting the species for the future. But then, of course, there'd be no reason for them to go back in time. The whole thing falls apart again, doesn't yeah. it? So it collapses in on itself. It's so. like they're saying, whalers, we just can't stop it. So let's just forget the past, bring the future, start again where there are no whalers. Mm, yeah. In fact, they kind of make yeah. a point of it being that like there's not going to be any fallout because like those whales, they're the only, but they would have been killed by the whalers. Gillian makes a thing of saying like, I haven't. I haven't got any family. I haven't got anything here. So it's not like, like <laughs> she's like missing. It's not like yeah. she's missing from history. What's going to happen? She just like, yeah. well, I'm not saying she <laughs> wouldn't no have friends, no yeah. family, no yeah. nothing. Nobody it's not on board. Yeah, yeah. slipping into a deep depression. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 like you know, he he was you know he was working up to ask her out. Maybe you know they could yeah. have had a family. They could have invented warp drive. Yeah. Nope. She's in the future on a science. You know. There's like a true crime documentary on Netflix in the year 2016 of like the disappearance of Gillian, whatever her name was. It's like yeah. she was just looking after whales and then vanished. Are you saying that her colleague is going to end up like in Stephen jail. Avery? Yeah. <laughs> Whaling a murderer. So they make it back and then cap off the entire trilogy um, with this kind of courtroom scene where finally. Kirk and the rest of the crew come back to be tried and this does really wrap everything up and made me realise the whole trilogy seemed to be designed to basically get Kirk back to the classic status quo of him being the captain of the Enterprise and back to the way, because you realise that actually really they haven't got back to the original series status quo in the entire film franchise until this moment Yes, and the whole thing seems to be oh Enterprise reborn mm. he even says that thing well we've come home and we're getting there's a little flicker on the score of the old theme coming Beautiful. in as well it's the best bit of score in the whole yeah, film it's it the is. final sequence where you know, they take it out I mean the, that line gives the film the title a different meaning I think the voyage home is actually yeah. sent to the bridge of the ship yeah. together you know on the Enterprise and if that's the voyage home really you'll bang on it they're not yeah, just yeah, coming yeah. back to Earth and Vulcan they're not just coming back to 2273 or whatever it's meant to be from 1986 they're also back to where they're most back at home. Again. Yeah, the, their the, most you know useful occupation, you know, their best use of their kind of talent is yeah. all together in this team. And they've proven they you know, as a great team they've saved the planet mm. and they kind of their just reward is the ship. Um but it's quite funny to see that the Excelsior you know, another three months in space, so does the ship do anything else? Does it ever leave? Like it spends its entire existence in this so <laughs> But um, do they um, great. Have, have they managed to rebuild the Enterprise in what seems like a day? I feel or, like they've rechristened another one of the same right, class. Yeah, just change the name. Exactly, it's just been repainted. So yeah. It's not like by bringing whales to the future or the timeline enough. No, no, it's, 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 get blown up. They are classes of starships, so you know that would have been a constitution. Uh, I yeah. think it's constitution. Yeah, but it's just so. Yeah, they could just rename it and have it ready. <laughs> ready to go. There you go. Well, the next film does say that it's not quite ready. Well, it, does it have a different? It's the A. Yes, yeah, it's the same number, but then with A after uh, it. So I thought that might be the original series, which then gets refit into the movie, is still just one seven oh one, and this one's A. I remember the B is the one at the. St- you haven't watched it yet, but in generations at the start. Yeah. The C is in a really great two-parter. Um, well, just no, it's one episode. In, is in it just one? Is it yeah. not two-part? Yes, okay, yeah. Yes, they Season three of Next Gen, yeah. and then D. Of D is all of Next Gen, and then they get the E for 
three of the movies. Uh, yeah, First Contact, yeah. Yeah, which is the last Enterprise we get to see. You never so, see yeah. the F, but the G turns up in Star Trek Online, but that's about it. <laughs> this is this is now going... Yeah, that, that, yeah, 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 yeah don't yeah. worry about that. That's, yeah, yeah, no, wow. <laughs> so it's, like, it's much more of a big universe. Um, so, yeah, I think the last scene's score, beautiful, and, you know, sit on the bridge, you know, walk drive. It's, it's a brand ending. And what do you think of the titles at the end? Well, I was just going to oh, say... Freeze frame. In, uh, Smash cut to Shatner. Like, <laughs> in a restaurant. Point to the score, uh, the ending certainly scored better than the hospital scene. Yes. The escape from the hospital is... I mean, it's like something out of like a Marx Brothers comedy or something. You know, it's, it's really vaudevillian and kind of farcical... I mean, it certainly cements that this film is a romp. Yes. Um, 100%. It's, it's definitely got kind of the tropes of what you consider like a comedy soundtrack. Sort of yeah, thing. yeah, really. Yeah. Has. I, don't think it, I don't think it doesn't need to go that far. I no. People think, you know, Warner couldn't do it, but the teaser trailer and Paul's trailer watch for this film, like, you know, contained Star Trek 4 footage, scored with like, Star Trek 3 music, and it worked. It was quite light. It kind of felt, you know, it could have worked. I think Warner had come along to do this one as well mm. to cap off his trilogy. So, you know, I, it's, I, it's my least favourite score of the whole stuff, well, yeah, of the, the original crew, for sure. But it's still serviceable, but it's just mm, it's a mm. shame it's a step down. Uh, the credits, uh, yeah, you were saying they're kind of these weird photo kind of credits, yeah. aren't they? All I mean, that's through. very 80s comedy, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah very much so. You're almost expecting to, like, the, the little subtitle to turn... Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. subtitle. Captain Kirk went on to Captain the End of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was back in the... Well, one, think, bones grew his beard back. It was a natural loving for the characters to get the, the more little moment that they you clearly could have done the Blues Brothers thing and have the crew as well, like, mm. you know, nice of them all behind the camera, you know, yeah. sort of smiling as well. Very, very uh, legal up before. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought Lethal Weapon 4 as well. Like, yeah. uh, why can't we be friends? Uh, and on that note, uh, perhaps we should go around the table. Well, quick question. How do you know how this film was generally received by the hardcore trekkers at the time? Because it must have been quite like a sh- you know, shock because it's such a change of pace. Was it like initially really embraced or hated? Or I think it, it was embraced. I think yeah, I, I'm not sure, but like I'm pretty sure because it, well it feels like hardcore series, you know, really hardcore fans of a series like this might have reacted against it. No, no, no. So. I think it's because it's the characters are at the fore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And it, it, is a, it is still a real solid movie, even if it's yeah. not. Like, yeah. the, even if there's not a lot of starships flying around for yeah. most. You of can it see, is. maybe it was too early for there to be like hipster trekkies who are like, oh, this is really yeah. hard. It's one of the <laughs> even numbered films as well, which for a long time up until Nemesis I think was kept as a kind of thing of oh yeah the even numbered ones are the good ones going like uh, nothing up to Insurrection really uh? up to Insurrection really Insurrection's odd because that's not oh it is isn't it yeah yeah Nemesis oh, yeah. is 10 okay. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah. like we're talking Khan Khan Voyage Undiscovered and first contact, and then Nemesis comes along yeah. and ruins it. Well, uh, were, you, were you moving on to scores? Yeah, I was going to say, in, what in the that, scores? In that regard, it does follow that pattern for me um, of uh, odd, bad, even good. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm plumping for a 7.2. 7.2, okay. Mm-hmm. So, big step up from Spock, which Spock, I believe which you granted a. 4.4. Oh, dear, oh dear. What about <laughs> you, Paul? 7.6. Uh, 7.6. Yeah, enjoyed this one a lot. Okay. Uh, AJ, why don't you tell us your score? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm going to stick to whole numbers, I think. Okay. Um, I mean, I. 
I'll, I'll go for eight, I reckon, because it, it's like I say, it's a very solid movie, and it's it's definitely there is definitely a bit of a nostalgia factor, as I said earlier on, the mid the you know it being my first experience to Star Trek and growing up watching it around my grandparents' house. But I think even on rewatch, there's there's not any kind of glaring kind of massive weak points in it. There's bits where you can see like okay, maybe they didn't have the budget to show that, or maybe mm-hmm. you know this could have been explored a bit more. Like you say, um, Sulu didn't sort of went off on his own <laughs> a bit and then you didn't see him you know taking the helicopter or whatever but I think overall it's you know it stands up after well this is films old or nine you know this is a 30, 30 year movie yeah. at this point mm. and it, it holds up and I you know I really dig it yeah and I think you know the effects really you know, don't age it too badly but there's no. dodgy map shots but mm. other than that it's it's really kind of like it, it, even the fact it's set in the 80s you've got that kind of jazz fusion kind of Soundtrack and the it still feels a bit timeless, yeah. even with those that doesn't detract because from it, it feels like think. you know it's a period piece in more yeah. than one way now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think for me, I'm probably going to go higher than any of you on this one, as I did with Search as well, as well, uh, and probably give it an eight point one. Oh. There you go. Where'd you get the point one from? Uh, just wanted to go slightly higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just be the highest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, eight point one. I think for me, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think all the fish out of water stuff is great and really makes the film. I think it takes a, a little while to get going, but once it's there, all that stuff is really successful. I like the message of the film a lot, um, and you know, I. I think Nimoy achieved what he set out to do, which was make a lighter film with a you know an important message, and it looks great. The effects are good. All the cast are top notch. Um, it's certainly the funniest Star Trek film, I think, probably um, inten- a, at least intentionally. There is a gag reel floating around for this one that's recently surfaced, and they do look like they're having fun making it, which is ge- generally I find like if you can find if the movies where you hear the horror stories of like oh everybody hates each other on the set and that don't turn out as well but this one they all seem to be having fun with each other at least in, as much as you can get from gag reel so it's sort of yeah that's it this is the they all had fun behind the scenes they all get their time in the sun mm. um, and I think that contributes to as you were saying yeah. the, the yeah. funniness of it and I think it caps out the trilogy really nicely as I said before I think there's there's a real that I think that's where the point one comes for me I think it's an eight up to that final moments and then suddenly it's like, oh, actually, this really rounds out everything really nicely. And now you feel like you can start off on a whole new series of adventures yeah. uh, past this. Like, we've taken four films to get to this point. Um, although, of course, that does make it funny that all the crew by this point look horrendously old. Yeah. And you've got three years again until they even start their new mission. So, but yeah, I, I really, I really like it. Yeah, I do too. And uh, yeah, I think we can score reflect. Yeah, definitely. I think. Uh, Don't hunt whales to extinction point. It's not logical. Yeah, basically, that's what you need to learn from this film. So everybody's next time. It's gonna be Subject Five: The Final Frontier. But get your get your watching in now, so you can feel prepared. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're gonna have another special guest star for that episode. Uh, Mr. Greg Locke. Um, who is not only a massive Star Trek fan, uh, but also the director of a little film called Ambush, uh, now had the Star Trek taken away from its title uh, due to the CBS Paramount uh, regulations that have come in to uh, fan films recently, uh, where, in fact, I failed to mention this on my Star Trek credentials uh, in the first episode but I suppose this is probably my biggest one I'm playing the lead villain in the film um, are you a probe? 
I'm not, I'm not a pro. How much of the film is spent with the Enterprise flying inside you? <laughs> Do you speak in whale? No one gets inside me in Stosh Abish. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could do some plugs. Go on. Yeah. Um, like. I can't remember the actual web address of my YouTube channel or anything like that, but I post stuff on Twitter um, at uh, AJHeretic666 because apparently I'm a 13 year old metal fan. And uh, yeah, that, you pretty much find everything there. Yeah, I was then and I stuck with it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that's probably. And we're uh, as usual. We're at Spotlight Pod at Twitter, and you can send us messages uh, to spotlightpod at gmail Yeah, we're also on Facebook as well. We've got a fan page there. Uh, if you search Spotlight, uh, you'll find us pretty easily. The same for iTunes, obviously. Um, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps us a lot. So yeah, that concludes today's broadcast. I've been Paul Wilson. I've been Liam Dempsey. And I have been my brothers. And also our special guest yeah, star. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. No, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, cheers. And now your voice will bleed in to your beautiful theme tune that you've created oh, for sweet. us. sweet. <laughs>